0: If you must blink with your ears, do it now! For if you miss any detail, no matter how small, you'll have to re-listen to this entire episode. Today, on Writers Get Animated, Kubo and the Two Strings. Stay tuned.
1: Good day, and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about... Storytelling and animation. I'm Chris Leva, And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today on the show, we're discussing a film from Laika, Kubo, and The Two Strings. Um, we haven't really discussed this. I forgot. We probably should have talked about this, but how spoilery are we mm. going to be? I in think this? very,
0: very spoilery. Okay.
1: We're going to probably spend, let's spend a non-spoiler part of the show and then... When the spoilers start to arrive, when we really get in, we'll give you a warning, dear mm-hmm. listener, dear listeners, um, <laughs> that, it, that it's coming, uh, that the spoilers. If you have not seen Kubo and the Two Strings, um, if you want to just listen to us free form and not have to worry about when the spoilers are coming, just stop and go see it. Mm-hmm. And then you can come back. Not right now. Stop,
0: but when we tell you to stop, you should stop.
1: That's right. So uh, it is I would I would say spoilers. It is well worth seeing. That's that's as spoilery as Was I'll be at spoiler? this beginning part. Okay. I don't know. People might be like, wait, this I th- that's a spoiler for our conversation. Is that it's worth seeing. Not a spoiler. Spoiler for, the for the an film. episode of
0: Writers Get Animated. It's gonna be funny. Chris
1: O'Dowd's <laughs> gonna show up. It's gonna be good. Exactly. So <laughs> Kubo and the Two Strings. Let's, uh, let's hop to it. Let's talk a, a little bit about what this is and where it's coming from. It's Mackenzie. amazing. Well, it is amazing, but where is it coming from?
0: So I've been telling people uh, all week that this is my Star Wars. Because I've been so excited for this movie for more than a year now. Watching every trailer. Posting everything about it. I've been following this nonstop. I'm like a, I'm a groupie. If this were a band and it were the 60s, I'd be a groupie. Um, That's
1: very fitting for something that we'll talk about a little bit later, though.
0: Okay. Spoiler? I don't know. Not really. Okay. But go on. Um, so if you're not familiar with Laika as an animation studio, you should be. They have done a few films, and people are beginning to pick up on their studio as a household name. They started with Coraline, uh, which if you were like me, back when it came out, you thought that it was just another Corpse Bride knockoff. Um, it's not spoilers it's a really good movie uh and it's currently on hbo go slash now right now if you want to watch that as homework it
1: is it is um actually um what was really cool i don't know if it's still going on but if you are on fandango vip which means you've signed up for an account through fandango.com they were giving out free copies of Coraline when you bought tickets to go see Kubo.
0: I bought all my tickets for Kubo through Fandango. I don't think I got any of this. Did I? Where did I buy the first tickets through? I'll have to go back and see. I've seen it twice now. I should probably have a free copy of Coraline. <laughs> somewhere. <clears throat> yeah. Somewhere
1: you should. So. Uh,
0: their anyway. second movie, uh, Paranorman, was the first one that I saw. And it was so, so good. So good. Paranorman... Um, it's like a Halloween movie, and I would say that it's the modern Halloween classic. It's really good. It's about bullying and Halloween. It unites these two things together. Uh, their third movie, The Box Trolls, um, which my sister and I argue about, she says it's kind of, uh, this hypocritical, hypocritical portrait of a person who's all about, like, telling people to be a man, but then cross-dresses, and it's negative to that. And I say it features an evil drag queen. So, you know, I think that that's a positive.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure how to react to that. Um, <sighs> I'll, I'm just going to let that sit. Yeah, I'll let that sit in the world.
0: For me, The Box Trolls is about self-hatred and learning to come to terms with the dichotomies in oneself. Uh, so they're, they're very deep movies. I get a lot out of these. And they've been doing a release every other year so far so Kubo 2016, Box Trolls I think 2014, Paranorman 2012 that sounds right hmm 2010 sounds too late far for Coraline bad. though I feel like that was like 2009 or 2008 might have been I might have my timeline off a bit um, so they've done four movies so far and they're doing um, very good quality and people are beginning to go to the theaters for this And my big thing about Kubo, trailer-wise, this is their first trailer that really had um, a lot of dialogue and told you a lot of the story ahead of time. They've recorded their voice acting, I think, well in advance for this one. Because a lot of the trailers for Coraline, Paradora, and Trolls had no dialogue for a really long time. It was just a cool cover song and no dialogue. So I think a lot of people may have written them off early thinking they were like, Oh, it's a foreign animation film. I don't want to see subtitles. Um, but no, they are made in Portland, Oregon.
1: It would be fun to go on a tour to see the studios. Because as stop motion, this is these are objects that are living in the real world. Mm-hmm. So these are puppets and sets. And one of the things that they're controlled by, which they they were discussed in different interviews about their process and how many films they do at a time they're really limited by actual physical space. Mm -hmm. So it's, they can't do more than what they can do because they have to have somewhere to do it. And if they run out of space, they're out of space. It's not like let's buy a new server. It's like, Oh, let's buy a new 8,000 square foot warehouse. To build everything that we have to build and the rigs and the sets, because the world that exists, it's, physical it's tactile it's it's there and it actually i think the director um there's a really fun interview with travis knight the director and also the ceo of Leica. so busy busy man Mm -hmm. um talking about how these things are touched with greasy sausage fingers from animators so (laughs) they're actually touched by by the animators Mm -hmm. he was mostly discussing the origami (laughs) yeah. <laughs> and how they they tried to use the origami characters with real paper, but then realized that that was not feasible. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't It wouldn't last being touched by these animators so often and being bent and moved and articulated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but i'll we'll post a link to that interview. It's w- with the uh, Bancroft Brothers animation podcast, mm-hmm. which is fun to listen to, but we'll post a link.
0: Another thing they mentioned in an interview is about how their art is improving so much that their stop animation looks like CG now. And I think to a certain degree, they're realizing this is really cool. They're driving the the medium forward. But it's also maybe hurting them a little bit because people are assuming that it is like a stylized CG and not (laughs) hand animated puppets that they spend more than two years doing. Right. Right.
1: Um, Where They they might be getting into the syndrome of the Lego movie, where that was CG making it look like it was 2D animated with Lego pieces. So they're Mm -hmm. getting into that realm of, no, 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 we're not purposefully making it look like dolls. It actually is. It actually is. Yeah.
0: It actually is, puppets.
1: And there's a mix. Um, They did, Travis Knight did talk a little bit about how in all of their films, there's a link um, between all three of 2D drawn animation and Mm. CG animation and the stop motion animation in all their films. There are elements of all of them. And I think we were talking about beforehand, there was the water that was done because there's a lot of water on this epic adventure as they go out and explore. Um, The water is CG, computer generated. However, they spent months and months and months trying to um, create it and and figure out how it was going to look. So they started off with... Actual practical water with different pieces of broken glass and trash bags and all kinds of other weird stuff that they used Um, And then they sent that to the people to, to do the CG and said hey, this is what's going on. This is what we're looking at so But they get a pass on water because they did do practical flowy
0: robes hair and fur to stop animate all that hair and fur, like they, they mentioned, I think uh, Brad Schiff, the lead animator, in one interview was saying that each piece of hair had wire inside of it so it could articulate all the hair. Wow. He compared it to not just being one character they were stop animating, but essentially each character became the work of two characters. Because you were doing their physical performance and the... All the flowy robes and hair and fur. Which do not look jumpy at all in the movie. They do a fantastic job making it all smooth.
1: Right, which is where you get into, as we were saying, the danger of oh my gosh, this looks too good. It must be CG. It has to be.
0: You're too good at your job. Therefore, I'm going to think you're bad at it.
1: <laughs> well, I don't not think bad. there's nothing. There, I don't think there's anything bad about CG. I, I just yeah. think. Um, what's really important, as they did, I think they started it in Box Trolls. They didn't do it in Coraline, I don't believe. But um, where they actually show a time lapse behind the scenes of characters being animated. and mm-hmm. they sh- At the During the credits. During the credits, during the exactly. So during the credits, they show this is what goes into moving these. And they show just the amount of furious work that has to be done to get the seconds of seconds done on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So uh, they also showed that the same thing with Kubo, they have that at the end credits. So stay for the credits to see that, um, that Mm -hmm. really helped Jack understand what was going on in the movie because he got to see that and understand, Oh, it's, it is all puppets and fake and give him some con context. Um, Mm -hmm. he's still really working through a lot of the themes Jack, He's, he's working through it all slowly. That's a lot. There's a lot in there. So especially for a kid,
0: (laughs) but this is, we're kind of, we're kind of segueing. I'm going to officially call us like in, in the animation segment of this discussion. So still not into spoilers. You're still good. Okay. But let's talk about how they used visual things, animation, uh, character moments, uh, set design, costume design, to kind of tell the story of Kubo and the Two Strings. Because I think there's a lot of good background stuff. I just saw this a second time yesterday, so I'm fresh.
1: <laughs> I was really impressed that, with, oh, with yeah. your notes, too. So I was like, he must have seen it more than once. These are like two, maybe three time notes. That's that's what I felt like, the the notes that you've added here.
0: Thank you. I mean, I did rewatch it a third time in my head while I was sort of listening to all the interviews and like reading all the interview articles, so yeah. Okay, that counts. Um, but one of my favorite things about the background of this movie, which I think really keep you in the world, is how they treat um, art and pictures in the background. Because you mentioned a link between 2D animation and 3D animation. I think they capture that really well. A lot of the the wall art, which is a pivotal moment in one of the later scenes in the movie is done in a traditional Japanese style. Mm -hmm. It's not like, Oh, we're going to do this jarring out of context style where in my examples of this are when you're uh, like watching a show, like usually CG animated or something and like their art, like their hand-drawn art or paintings looks exactly like the actual CG that you're watching. Or my other favorite example, as much as I love it, star Wars rebels, when they have a photo, air quotes, of someone. And it's like a 2D like sketch of a character. Not even CG. It's like someone did like a little like deviant art picture of Ezra. And that's the, the most wanted picture that they're broadcasting throughout the galaxy. <laughs> so I like that the art in Kubo was put into context by using actual traditional looks to it.
1: They talked a lot about... in several interviews, but they talked a lot about using the Japanese art styles, especially woodblock work, to create the way that textures would look and the way the overall look of the film and create it and ground it in that artwork, in that world. Because since they were actually having to physically create it, had to be grounded in something. So grounding Mm -hmm. it in traditional Japanese artwork gave them a vocabulary for everything that they made and all the scenes that were made, especially in the opening. uh, Mm -hmm. There's, there's the wave. Mm -hmm. uh, I was
0: going to talk about that actually, which
1: (laughs) um, my wife and I both laughed and Jack looked at us (laughs) like, what are you laughing at? Um, But it was just this uh, knowledge of, Oh, I see what they're doing. There's, not quite specifically referencing, but also very specifically no, referencing. Did. So
0: they did. Um, for those of you not aware, um, that is a painting called The Great Wave by Hokusai, and it's on every college dorm room door ever, <laughs> including my own. Um, I still have it somewhere, too. I have that post. It's the one thing I've kept. Um, but I think it was a very specific reference, and in the credits for Kubo, they do kind of this fun, hand-animated, not like, puppet hand animated, uh, like 2D animated sketching, drawing montage where they take moments of Kubo and transpose them into the style of Hokusai and specific Hokusai paintings. So they have like the wave and the boat and it goes into like one of the views, the 36 views of Mount Fuji as they're like walking past. So I'm not sure if right. it's the, the series of paintings by Hokusai specifically inspired moments of this movie or if they thought this is a cool overlap and they thought for the credits, how many times can they make a Hokusai painting happen out of moments of the movie? And they do the same colors, the same style, the same interesting fades.
1: Mm-hmm. The credits are just a, a fun thing to sit through just to stay in that world a little longer, but also seeing other influences and also get to hear Regina Spector. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, any excuse to listen to Regina Spector rock out. My guitar,
0: gently whips.
1: Just for the sake of our listeners that was not Mackenzie doing an impression of what Regina Specter sounds like. That, w- that was Mackenzie doing Regina Specter channeling her Chan- that, that's channeling her spirit, not her voice. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to be upfront in case any Regina Specter fans are also writers get animated fans, and the Venn diagram of animation fans and Regina Specter fans. I don't, I don't know where I was going with that sentence. I, I just don't want to offend people, just in general. Not that I'm calling, I'm not saying your voice was offensive. I'm just, oh, God. I'm just saying. Okay,
0: okay. Moving we're, move, we're Moving on. on, moving on.
1: Chris is cut off. Oh, no.
0: Um, another thing I really enjoyed about the animation for this, which I think tells the story of the world, is in the interview with Brad Schiff that I read, who, again, is a lead animator. Um, he talked about how much reference they shot and the evolving use of reference they've had in the Leica Studios. Did you read this one? I have not
1: read this particular one, no.
0: Okay. Um, so in stop animation, because it's such like this... It, it's like this, it's a gig world or it has been for a long time. Like if you're, if you're a stop motion animator, you kind of go from studio to studio, project to project, just following whatever studio is doing the one stop motion picture that year. <laughs> right. Um, and so Ardman of course had their stop motion animators in house, um, but they were the only studio really doing that. Now, Leica has animators that are employed and they just stay for these movies so you can kind of grow your craft and work as a team and see what happens with that and I think as Kubo demonstrates amazing things happen Mm -hmm. Um, and part of what they talk about um, is how I forget which company but some big company went under and they got one of the great animators from there and brought him in and uh, he was animating on Paranorman and shot all this reference work like he would pull one of the animators say like walk around for a little bit, shoot him on camera, and then use that as reference when he was hand animating the puppets. And they could tell immediately that his work was much better than everyone else's. <laughs> like, well, okay, that's um, that's interesting, and no one's really done that before. They do it for CG stuff all the time.
1: They do it for hand like drawn as well all the time.
0: And hand drawn. And so we talked about in the Zootopia episode how they went and observed animals nonstop. And so, of course, you'd think, like, oh, yeah, stop motion animation. They're going to shoot reference work.
1: And that Uh, really wasn't part of the culture. Huh.
0: Yeah. And so because they brought it in for box trolls, I think Brad was saying, Brad, we're on a first-name basis. Hi, Brad. Um, (laughs) Mr. Schiff? That sounds weirder. Brad Schiff was saying that uh, more than 50% of the people were using the reference material method in box trolls. And because it was getting to the point you could really tell from scene to scene, who was and who wasn't. Mm. They made it mandatory for Kubo. And so some of the things that come out of this are some of my favorite little moments. Um, at the very beginning, Kubo wakes up in his home in a cave um, and there's paper all over the ground. And there's the beginning of his days walking around picking up the paper and he bends down and it's just a shot of his hand as he's leaning down picking up paper off the stone floor. And he misses one and he goes back to grab it a second time and picks it up. And that puts you in such a real... Moment of this is a house so quickly. It's not like a fake Like CG animated movie house where everything's perfect and things happen perfectly. It's he missed a piece of paper Cool, it sets the tone for the movie and that's based on the actual reference work They used of someone bending down a pick of the paper and he missed it the first time and had to take it a second time
1: And it's that that kind of detail. That's one thing. I think that's one of the very first moments that I got really excited about the movie Um, That exact moment, Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you made a note of it because I was like, that's that's the moment (laughs) that I got excited because when you take care on a character detail that has nothing to do with advancing the plot, which has nothing to do with anything more than selling us on who this character is and how they operate and work in the world. When you take time to craft a detail like that, it just makes all the difference. It Mm -hmm. makes all the difference. It's just a small, real gesture that defines the character and sets him in a world. You remember that it is um, a child picking up their room. I mean, yes, their room is a cave at that point. (laughs) Um, And most children don't have to pick up caves. Um, But it's that moment where you do realize this is a real person. And it's just... It's such a throwaway little moment, but it adds so much. And I, it's this one thing that I noticed. I don't know. It's because mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm looking for things like that, but or if I'm just hyper aware of moments like that. But that was like uh, an extra hour mm-hmm. of work, at least, to animate missing the paper. And then, Not even an hour. They said they animated 3.2 seconds a day. So That's like a half day's work. That's at least, least a half day's work of uh, <laughs> to add that tiny little detail. And it's uh, that kind of attention to detail that makes all the difference.
0: Mm-hmm. And I caught a lot more of those the second time I watched it. Shortly thereafter, as Kubo's leaving the cave, he has his arm on his mother's shoulder... And then as he's going, he kind of does like the takeaway thing where his hands on her shoulder and then it just, as he walks away, it slowly, like, just lifts away lightly and goes down her arm. And that was another moment the second time, like, oh, that says everything about the relationship. Mm -hmm. He's attached and he doesn't really want to let go,
1: but he has to go, but he's showing affection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the character moments. It's the character Mm -hmm. moments in silence and in gesture that make the difference. And I think a lot of 2D animation and um, 3G animation that does more reference material, when you let actual people act that out, whether it's other animators, whether it's actors like the Disney studios used to do in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, you know, when it's actually people performing, you're not looking at it for exactly how we're going to perform it. So you're not going to do a rotoscoping. But you're seeing how people in a space interacting together would make a moment, sell a moment, would s- make that moment. You know, it's almost, I, like, it's almost like a rehearsal for when you go in for your performance.
0: Well, what I, what I was reminded of a lot, and I'm going <clears> to <throat> show my film pretension here. I was reminded of the Italian movie, The Bicycle Thief. Um, I'm sure Nigel's probably giving me a smile right now. Yes. Okay. Um, So in The Bicycle Thief, uh, essentially the director set out to not cast actors, and it's a whole movie about, it's a story that he's made up and he's having people act out, but it's people who don't know how to act and people who um, it's a lot of real moments of this, and it felt um, I think there's a lot of charm in there and things to like about that movie. I'm not saying The Bicycle Thief is a bad movie. It's a good movie. Um, I didn't like it because there wasn't enough editing, I felt, and I think the benefit of Kubo with the reference work is you're getting these real moments from people who aren't actors. You're just saying like, oh, Chris, uh, stop animating your scene today. I'm going to have you shoot reference material for 10 minutes. It's constantly being pulled off because you're the person that all the animators said like, oh, you walk like Kubo. Come here. Hmm. And so you're getting these real moments. But then the benefit of this animation style is you get to edit all that and choose what you like and what works for the character and what doesn't. So it's the best of both worlds for me. Like, yes, you're still telling your story and planning your story, but you're also editing what's real into that story without taking everything that's real.
1: Right. And to throw in just another um, another reference to how a character's small moment can change everything. Um, the movie's not animated, but the character's animated. When we look at um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's mm. Chest, Davy Jones... Um, brilliantly acted by Bill Nye on set in pajamas. Bill Nye? Not not that. Bill Nye. Oh, okay. <laughs> Spelled differently, not Nye. But <laughs> anyway, he, um, he was on set. So his performance was able to influence all the actors around him. But also he was able to bring out little character things that if he had been by himself in a mocap suit, you know, separate from the set, he wouldn't have been able to create. There's one little moment where Davy Jones is walking up to the camera, and he kind of just makes this little sound with his lips, just making this little gesture. And it's a tiny little gesture, but it made all the difference, him making a point and putting a period on it by himself. And yes, Davy Jones is all animated. There wasn't you know, there's no part of Bill Naye that's there. They th- <laughs> they tried to, they were going to actually have his eyes, um, but then they decided, no, let's just, just fully animate it. But you believe that that character's there because at some point something real was being expressed. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that may have been a big difference between the animation and Coraline, having watched parts of Coraline, um, previous to seeing Kubo, and then now having seen the difference and watching the trailer to Kubo, and then watching the trailer to Coraline, and just seeing difference in fluidity, difference in movement, differ- there's just a lot of growth, and it just feels mm-hmm. different. And I can see what you're saying about reference because you can, there's something more grounded in it.
0: Yeah, you can tell immediately. Like Coraline. I think it's a good movie. Like I said, I recently saw it. Um, I'm glad I didn't see it first, and I had this weird jump of like having seen Kubo and then going back in time in their uh, repertoire and (laughs) watching Coraline just because it is so shockingly different when you've had that much of a separation from where you started and where you are now. Mm -hmm. Um, And something you said just now, like. Uh, showing more how the, the characters are feeling. I forget what, exactly what you said, but one thing that I wrote down is compare Kubo and the Two Strings to Anomalisa in terms of animation style and what it's telling. Because Anomalisa like, purposely draws attention to the fact that it's a stop-motion animated movie. Right. But I feel like at the same time, Kubo does a better job expressing emotion than, the animation in Anomalisa did where it had like all the the, the jaw hinges for emotions and stuff mm-hmm. um and it also similarly um
1: oh that's a spoiler so should should we hop into spoilerville and talk story yeah Okay, so we're we're just giving you a warning. We are into um, Spoilerville on Writers Get Animated as we talk about Kubo and the Two Strings. I feel like I'm on a radio talk show host all of a sudden. Yes, I'm here. I'm Chris Lavin, I'm talking to Mackenzie Worrell. Ira
0: Glass. I'm sorry. We've reached... Ira Glass.
1: Sorry. Hang on. We've reached Act Two in our show, the story, <laughs> Kubo and the Two Strings.
0: Okay um Charlize Theron voices two people um and anomalisa has one voice for a lot of different people as well so it's kind of a similar thing there so after we were talking about Anomalisa the other night and i was thinking about this more and more like kubo and the two strings has a lot of things in common um with that movie in terms of its theme and what it's doing but i felt like kubo hits the heart of what Anomalisa is trying to do much better <laughs> um What, so talk, I've been talking a lot this podcast. Tell me about what you got out of the story. What did you, what jumped out at you as the most important things in the story?
1: For me, the story, uh, if we give it just a one sentence, we won't give it a five sentence, Leo the Lion um, (laughs) synopsis. (laughs) We'll give it a one sentence. It's really about uh, a boy trying to understand where he came from so he could figure out where he's going. Um, And he goes to the city town to try to, the town square, to tell a story that he he attempts to reach the end of every single time, but at the end of the day, he doesn't know what that ending is. And he's just trying to reclaim his past from his mother, who's currently forgetting the past and that story so it's trying to uh save himself and his identity as his mother is losing hers and forgetting hers which is a nice theme that for me that's what it was all about in terms of the story it was about his story and trying to figure out what his story is and recover it for himself Mm. and um and really gaining ownership of his story
0: I'm interested in that you latched onto that half of that because I latched more onto the other half. That's a big theme of like eyes and blindness and humanity and being able to see the humanity in each other or being a cold person because you can't see the humanity
1: in someone else. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Go Say a couple sentences about that.
0: Uh, So a lot of the theme of the movie, and this is, I guess, not so much a spoiler because I say it in the first minute. Kubo and his mother are escaping at the beginning uh, because his grandfather stole something very important to him. His eye. And it's kind of a mystery for us. Like, okay, Kubo's grandfather stole his eye. We don't really know why and what's going on. Uh, but in the process of escaping, the mother also is thrown into the water, hits her face on a rock, and gets this big scar over her eye as well. Um, and as we go throughout the movie, if you you can see a lot of scars of eyes and blindness as well as the full moon playing into this as well, of representing when people can see or can't see the humanity in other people. And there are people who have two eyes, and are very warm, and can see the humanity in everyone else. A lot of the villagers are these very nice, very genuine people. Um, And here's a spoiler if you're still listening for some reason. Um, At the end, they're the ones, uh, when the Moon King is kind of left in this human form, unsure of who he is, say, you're the best person I know. And they give all these examples of why he's so great, because they can see that humanity. They have two eyes. Whereas the Mother and Kubo and Monkey has a partial scar as well on her eye. Um, they are, are all partially blinded to humanity and being able to relate to other people. The Monkey doesn't know that Beetle's Hanzo. Uh, the mother is trying to protect Kubo, and so she keeps him in this cave alone and separated from everyone else. And Kubo goes on this quest to rescue or to find these three mystic artifacts. And ultimately, he realizes he doesn't need to kill someone like he promises to end his story. He just needs to relate to someone else. And there's lots of statues in the background. With the eyes messed up, and the monsters. This the Hall of Bones skull has the two glowing eyes. In the I, water, they're the garden of eyes. Like it's all about eyes
1: mm-hmm. and seeing, and who who can see what? Because though Kubo is constantly being pursued by the scariest thing, giving Jack nightmares. Um, the the his Kubo's ants, the two witches mm-hmm. with scary masks that look like something out of. Um, they, they, they reminded me a little bit of um, acting masks, but also mm-hmm. masks like worn from Nightmare Before Christmas kind of things were just really scary, Tim Burton, nightmare kind of stuff.
0: I was kind of going the ring with them in a different yeah. Japanese influence.
1: Yeah, they were, they were very scary. Jack saw them. You know, For those who, who aren't constant listeners, my, my son is about to turn four. So Jack saw them. And I guess the, the score was just really strong, the musical score. He saw them and immediately turned away from the screen. Like, they were that frightening upon first look. Like, I know that this is going to be bad. Braid <laughs> mm-hmm. was like, yes, this is not good, <laughs> turned mm-hmm. away. Um, but they are, Kubo's trying to escape having his other eye taken. Mm-hmm. And he can't go out at night. Or can't be out of the cave past night, because the Moon King and his um, ants will find him to steal mm-hmm. his other eye. And they're trying to do it for the best intentions, as they see it, to remove the humanity from him, mm-hmm. so that way he could reach his full potential as a demigod yeah, kind of it's character. Kind of mystery. Yeah. The thing that I like about the story just in general, is that it's a smaller, intimate story. It feels, it's a very epically told story, but it's very small in terms of scope, um, very simple in terms of what's happening and who's after what, and it doesn't give us a huge amount of backstory, but it's it feels simple like an old myth that mm-hmm. was out there, that was created by somebody. So... And I mean, it's not based on one particular myth, it's not based on one thing, but we come to understand what the story is and its mythical qualities as we live through it and as we understand the rules of it. So there's a little bit of Japanese culture that comes in, but also new rules about who this Moon King is and who the sisters are and, you know, the monkey as protector and it just becomes its own myth mm-hmm. that feels like something ancient, but... I was going
0: to go with it feels almost like a Western to me at times, Mm-hmm. which is also very mythic in its structure.
1: Well, they did talk a lot about mixing cultures, so mixing the East and West cultures in terms of at least music. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talk a lot about that and having the... Um, the traditional Japanese instrumentation, including the shamisen, which the three, which means literally three strings. So the three string guitar that Kubo is able to play and then bring things to life, bring Mm. the paper to life, the leaves, which I guess are parts of trees. That's why he can control leaves. I went with that. He also can control cloth. Yeah, so I was just things if, as, as long as it came from the natural world, tree, plant-ish kind of stuff, because paper comes from trees, right? So that's why he can control leaves. Yeah, that's that's how I had to tell myself. Okay, it's organic it's material. Yeah. yeah, That's that's what I had to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> that was a question. I was like, oh, he's controlling leaves. Why? Well, leaves and paper both come from trees. Okay, it must be something organic. Okay, I'm back on board. <laughs> well done. Yeah, it, it pulled me out for just a slight moment, and then I got back in. Jumped back You got in.
0: back on board the hype train.
1: Well, I got got on the boat. Oh, okay. I was going to go with the boat. If we're sticking with that metaphor.
0: Right. <laughs> um, I know you... We talked a little bit about the, the twists and reveals in this movie... Um, I know you love at least one of them.
1: I do. One of my favorite things was the revelation of um, who the monkey is. Mm -hmm. Monkey character. I think it was more of the way it was done, the way it was expressed underwater with the eyes and eyes being able to see different things and, understanding if you're still listening for some reason and haven't seen the movie yet, um, see the, that the monkey is the mother. Mm -hmm. And just the way that they do that and reveal that it was really satisfying. And the way that Kubo realizes that it's a very nice character moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was done in a way that even Jack was like, Oh, (laughs) it's the mother you know so he sees it as as that so they made it clear enough for an almost four-year-old which is good i'm not insulting that i'm saying it's a very good satisfying thing and the dialogue right before that moment is also kind of ambiguous up
0: to a point until monkey says it made me stronger in reference to like uh the love making the mother weak right she's about me for the first time
1: Exactly. that, And that's where it tells you what the, what's going on. And then it's just a really nice sequence that Jack mostly experienced um, on my wife's lap, staring his head. I think it's a really interesting thing as this fight's going... Okay, this is just taking something out of it. This fight's going on where the monkey mother of Kubo is fighting pr- to protect her son from this witch. And Jack... Uh, is in my wife's lap, like, holding on for dear life being protected in the protection of his mother. So I'm like, oh, it's like, it's happening. It's happening right now. <laughs> Both characters, one being my son, <laughs> one being the protagonist of the film, are being protected by their respective mothers uh, on because of this witch. the scary, scary witch. So, so what we're
0: hearing is, um, Jack did not blink enough.
1: During this oh, movie. He, he blinked plenty. He, his <laughs> eyes were closed a lot, which says a lot. So he, he closed his eyes a lot, if we're going back to the eye theme. Mm-hmm. But um, if we want to give it a Jack rating, so the writers get animated Jack rating of this film. Um, I asked him, I asked him, Jack, what was your favorite thing in the movie? He told me, he said, I didn't like any of it because it was too scary. That was his rating was too scary. The <laughs> scariness trumped everything. Now, that was a lie. He did laugh a lot, and he enjoyed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so his favorite thing is actually when the birds, um, Kubo crafts paper birds, and they fly by the monkey and make the bun- monkey's s- hair stand up. Uh, mm-hmm. The monkey's first point up and go crazy, puffed out. Um, that's Jack's favorite part. Um, and the, the bird's flying into the monkey's butt. So and he did enjoy that a okay. lot. He thought that was hilarious. Jack likes Monkey a lot. That's what I'm taking away. Yeah, he likes he likes the character Monkey. Animal characters Jack really relates to. But uh the witches and the skeleton were just too much.
0: See, I think like that's that's the journey as a kid that's too much and as an adult like the garden of eyes thing that's the scariest part for me.
1: Yeah, th- yeah, that scared the heck out of me. Uh, but Jack, oh, and the dragon—the when the Moon King turns into a dragon at the end—that oh, yeah. was that was really freaky for Jack. Um, so, who also gets scarred in the eye? He also does get scarred in the eye, but then he gains his vision back as he becomes human.
0: Only in one eye, though, and at the same time, it goes from the full moon being the same milky white as his blind eyes from the earlier scenes when he has two blind eyes to when he becomes human and is defeated. He has one scarred blind eye and one seeing eye, and the moon suddenly goes from full moon in the background to, like, this very partial waxing moon.
1: Ah. <laughs> uh, visual metaphor. hmm
0: It works. It tells stories. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, my, my overall takeaway on the twist, um, I think it was done in such a way, it is it is mythic in a lot of its structure, and I think mythic structure is good, but at the same time, it also becomes a little predictable at points. Um, so I thought it was a very well-executed, well-done version of something that I think we've seen before.
1: Right. Uh, and that's not at all a knock on the quality of the film. Not at all. As. For you, somebody who's seen it two times. (laughs) Yeah, I have seen it it. twice. I chose to see it a second
0: time. (laughs) I like it.
1: (laughs) So it is a very gorgeous, well-executed story. Um, The twists and turns and character reveals, I think they were part of the nature of the film is its intimacy in terms of how few characters there are in the story that they're telling. Really... It's down to Kubo, Monkey, Beetle, um, and the King and the two sisters, which I would count as almost one character. Mm-hmm. So really about five main characters were that, that, have, that live in the struggle. And then we have the villagers where there are some individuals, but mostly the villagers can be a single character as mm-hmm. well.
0: I would group them all into the old woman.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm. So, so about six main characters going on here, mm-hmm. and so it's a little hard to have surprises when you've limited that so much. And so, when monkeys revealed to be the mother, and then we have this other character who's accompanying them this, of beetle, you're like, oh, well, I wonder if he's going to be revealed to be the father. Because who else is there? What else have we done? And, and as you said, we were given a clue about the father's fate from the very beginning. Mm-hmm.
0: I think we talked about this beforehand, but at, at the beginning, um, Kubo, there's a, the, uh, I forget the name of the festival, Oban Festival, um, and Kubo goes to make a paper lantern and pray to the spirit of his dead father. And like the the other little girl in the cemetery, you don't get shown any of spirits, but the other kids are like, oh, grandma's here. And Kubo gets frustrated because his dad is not appearing to him. And I'm like, oh, his dad's alive. Okay.
1: <laughs> the reason why the dead father's not coming by is he's not dead.
0: In a movie that already doesn't shy away from magic in autonomous folding origami, the dad is not there because the dad is alive. Right. Yeah.
1: So... So there's that, which is, uh, which was fun, mm-hmm. and then to be revealed, it. yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I think my favorite twist, and this is actually my favorite thing, also. We're getting all of our favorite things out of the way before we actually get to the favorite thing segment today. <laughs> um, I think my favorite twist and favorite thing was at the end when Kubo's thrown by his grandfather, the Moon King, who stole dragon form at this point, and he lands. And he sees the two strings on his wrist, which one is a piece of hair of his mother's uh, when they're being separated. And then the string from his father's bow he saves as well on his wrist as reminders of who they are. And he's thrown into the woods and he has all the armor, the, the unbreakable sword, the breastplate impenetrable, and the something helmet, whatever it is. I forget what that was. Yeah. I'm, I'm anyway, no help. That's fine. He's thrown and he sees the two strings on his wrist and he just... This whole movie we spent gathering up these magical objects so he can kill his grandfather and just takes them off. And you realize it's the reveal of what the two strings in the title is as he's restringing his shamisen to play the song and do the same kind of thing that he did at the beginning.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting about the, the shamisen is that there are three strings... And so I was thinking, well, who's the third? And of course, it's Kubo himself, you know, mm-hmm. being the third string and plucking out one of his own hairs to be part of that. So, but uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. Kubo and the two strings. You're wondering if he's going to be operating at a deficit because you see the three strings, <laughs> like, oh gosh, now he only has two strings to save his, you know. But this whole movie, you've been wondering about the strings. Who are this, you know, what are these strings that he has? And, mm-hmm. and then and that's a he, lot
0: of the, that's the storytelling. Like that's the, the payoff of the, what is this question that lasts the entire movie? It's the title. It
1: has to be him and the the parents. It has mm-hmm. to be him and the parents. It's not something that's outside of yourself. It's or it's not solely something that's outside of yourself and you're not doing it as protection for yourself. It's part of you and your past and your story going into it. Cue uh, Regina Spector.
0: Well, so. the Oops. Oh God, please stop. So I hope that Travis really likes this podcast and Brad. Um, And that Regina never, ever hears this. So I can still get tickets to her concerts. Um, (laughs) I guess um, something else I want to bring up is Travis has been making the rounds talking about the studio and what's going on. And part of it is because they're seeing more success now. They have the opportunity to have more space to do more movies. And he's talking about how they're going to start releasing one movie every year soon. Which is intense. Mm Mm-hmm. For something that takes that long to make, yeah. I don't think we're going to get one next year still, but I think after the next one, it will be one every year.
1: Well, there has to be a lot of planning because they spend a few years just in planning because they, mm-hmm. they treat it more, and it has to be treated a little bit more like a live-action film because you're actually going to have physical things created. So you have to spend more time on the planning side before you even hit being the filming part of it. So...
0: And he also talked about they're currently planning at least two to three movies, actively planning two to three movies, because he did in the same interview say he's they're not interested in doing any sequels to any movies ever.
1: Right. I remember reading that in a couple of interviews. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not doing sequels,
0: but he does do thematic arcs. And he talked about this Kubo and the Two Strings is the end of their arc on Childhood of Coraline, Paranorman, Box Trolls, and Kubo the Two Strings. And he said their next movie, he's not talking a whole lot about it yet, but it's another fusion of some two very different genres, whatever that means. And it's more, they're going into an arc about adulthood. And he thinks there are not even any child characters in the next movie. And he's not saying that it's an animated movie for adults. It's still like a family animated movie, but it's no longer going to be about childhood. That's not what they're interested in currently.
1: A child working through something. The story of a child. That's something yeah. more adult.
0: Yeah. And actually, I saw Kuba as more an adult movie because, you know, they, they say um, as you get older, you know you're older when you start to identify with the parents in movies. And that was definitely true for me
1: and Monkey in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did identify with um, with Monkey and Beetle in different moments in terms of protecting... And like, okay, let him go off, let him do his own thing. But then, the very protective side of, hey, she told you to be back by sundown. Why are you still out? Get back, mm-hmm. Kubo. Kubo. Are you
0: guys gonna have an adult conversation again?
1: Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, very, very good stuff. But there, so that's Kubo
0: was... and the two strings. Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah. Very good. If you still haven't seen it, why did you listen to this? Go see it. Listen to this episode again. Um, Get
1: more out of it. This episode. Yeah. By by actually watching what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, in order to fully understand our podcast, you have to go out and watch this thing that's supplemental
1: material. The only thing that you don't have to go watch would be... It's part of our (sighs) unfinished business. Yeah. Leo the Lion. Leo the Lion. On our last episode, we spent the whole episode warning you to not go watch Leo the Lion on Netflix. And yet
0: some of you tried. You did
1: try. I appreciate the valiant effort. um, But then please remember that we did warn you. We did warn you. So hashtag sorry, not sorry. (laughs)
0: Hashtag a little bit sorry.
1: Li- <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> I do feel remorse <laughs> for anyone who said, it eh, can't be as bad as they were talking about, and then attempted to go in and... And it was. Have their have their own personal experiences with Leo the Lion. Mm-hmm. So we give our Writers Get Animated seal of approval. Not that it... <laughs> on Kubo and the Two Strings, not Leo the Lion. If you thought that not Leo the, Lion. Was Leo the Lion, no, no, Put no, Kubo and the Two Strings. Kubo and the Two Strings. Go see it. Um, if your child is under the age of four, um, you are risking scarring them in some way by seeing Kubo and the Two Strings. So the Jack rating on this is again, um, I didn't like anything in it because it was too scary. That's the Jack rating for Kubo and the Two Strings. So just be aware. I had so high hopes. He watched the trailer four times in a row. He loved it. Trailer. He was so excited. It's not a scary trailer,
0: though.
1: I know. I know. So uh, yeah, another lie that trailers do. They make you so excited. (laughs) They did not let him know that he was going to be traumatized slightly. So. Un poco. Un poquito. (laughs) So. (laughs) Homework time. Homework time. Since we've talked about three movies in a row, so The Little Prince, go see it on Netflix. Leo the Lion, don't don't go see it on Netflix. And Kubo and the Two Strings, we decided to change things up and talk about somebody who knows movies more than us, Jay Sherman, Uh, The Critic. It stinks. It stinks. So go watch. We have two episodes of The Critic. Uh, Season 1, Episode 2, Miserable. And then Season 2, Episode 8, All the Duke's Men. Go find The Critic. Um, Go. It's on DVD. You can't find it on iTunes or on Netflix. You have to seek out the DVDs. This is a good time to visit one of your local libraries.
0: Oh, jeez. If they have it.
1: Mine does.
0: (laughs) My story here of dating myself is that... um, When here it's gonna happen three times in one sentence, when media play went out of business, (laughs) I went to go find the complete DVD collection of a then twenty-year-old cartoon show from the early (laughs) nineties. And partly this upcoming episode is so that we can quote lines from the critic in the real world and people won't think that we're crazy for quoting a twenty five year old cartoon show that no one saw before the
1: internet. Also, I looked it up. on. You could get it on Amazon for under $13. Ooh, and it's well worth it. It's well worth it. It's so worth it. So.
0: As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Coutinho, and to Jacob Reed for the music.
1: Catch us on the web, on Twitter, at WGANimated, on Facebook.com slash WG animated and get all of the show notes and we'll have links to different interviews with the creators of Kubo and the two strings. Some Not, really that cool stuff. Not that we're conducting. Not that we're conducting. We'll have lots of links. Um, writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Check it out there.
0: Mm. And Travis, if you are interested, um, we're here. We are.
1: Interested in what?
0: Doing an interview with us. Oh. Okay. And also, um, it's okay to blink now. You're good. It's okay, guys.
1: Blinking is fine. Yeah. Blink the night away. I don't know what that means.
0: Good night, everybody.
1: Good night, everybody. It's like Doctor Who, right? Blink. Mash up. Doctor Who should go see Kubo. That's what should happen. We should have Peter Capaldi and Doctor Kubo. It sounds like Cujo.